Hey guys, Anthony here, and I just wanted to give you a big biohack thank you for listening. I'm so humbled and grateful that you're spending some of your day with me and the Biohacking Secrets Show. And if you get any value from this episode, or you've gotten value from previous episodes, it would mean the world if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes and share this episode with your friends, family members, and coworkers on social media. That way we can continue to spread this information and positively impact as many lives as possible. And it's also how our podcast gets discovered by more people. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show. This is your life and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are breakfast. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. Nadia Aguilar, welcome back to the Biohacking Secret Show. Uh, hey, thanks for having me again, man. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. I was just, I was just mentioning to you that uh, around like midnight last night, I re- I was at a friend's place. I thought we were recording at seven a.m. Flew home, woke up at five thirty, went through my morning routine, so I was all fired up. I sit down at the uh, at the computer, and I'm like, "Oh, Naughty forgot." I'm like, he must have forgot. And then I looked and I'm like, I'm four hours early for this freaking thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I saw that when I woke up this morning. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, it's one of those things. But yeah, I've, I've done the same thing with the interviews in the past. Yeah, yeah, it happens. It happens. But I'm, I'm pumped to talk, man. We spoke back in September of 2016. Uh, on That's episode 25 for those of you guys that want to check it out and, and enjoy the stuff that Naughty's going to share in this episode. We talked about biohacking, functional fitness, and uh, and biomechanics, and since then you've been you've been working with Kyle Dake, uh, Johnny Blen, a bunch of like world class athletes, and doing some pretty amazing things. Maybe you can catch us up on some of the the big shifts that have happened for Naughty Aguilar and functional patterns these past five years. I, I think not, it's not so that I've had like massive shifts. It's just more like. Um... Like when you begin to dial in precision, like I feel like I've kind of been somewhat on the right track with what I wanted to generally do. And I just make a lot of errors in the in the process of trying to trying to figure it all out, like mechanically and whatnot. And so I think like the, the general premise of what I've tried to do is, is still on point. But just all the things I've had to tweak over the last five years are massive just because like um, you begin to understand how function. I, I've kind of like back in the day, maybe about like 10 years ago, 11, 12 years ago, I spent my time looking at books more often and anatomical charts, making sure that I understood my anatomy. Mm-hmm. Whereas over the last five years, especially I've, uh, I've actually kind of stopped reading. I've stopped looking at anatomy. I've stopped essentially just educating myself in the traditional sense of how most people would probably educate themselves. And mm-hmm. I just really started like tuning into my body, like actually listening to my body and really like, trying to get to the deepest depths of what's happening within my physical structure and visualizing the anatomy as it, as it's supposed to be felt. And then little by little, as I've gone down this, uh, this path, I feel like the the precision has guided me to get to a, to a place where um, I'm able to just, I'm able to do things physically that I couldn't do before. And never mind that. I, I just feel like I'm, I'm hitting strides that I've never been able to hit before. Like I used to, I used to have like uh, bouts of uh, really, really harsh anxiety, um, like I went through a period of psychosis within that last five years or whatever, just trying to f- figure a lot of stuff out, man. And it's like uh, running the company functional patterns is not, it's not easy. There's a lot of uh, complications that come with it, whether it's uh, obviously getting projects off the ground. And then it's also having to deal with uh, 
just do, dealing with uh, with people and and uh, partnerships and trying to help people and then them helping you and then having accountability systems and whatnot. I went through a lot of crap, man. And uh, over the last few years, I just feel like the the precision has enabled me to to, uh, to just to reset myself in a way where I like my my. It just I I feel like I'm kind of connecting to understanding that whole notion of connecting to nature, connecting to na- natural uh, biological frequencies. And uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm feeling really, really good. I, I gotta say, like, I'm, I'm, I've never felt better. And I, and I honestly feel like I'm, I'm just still getting started. I'm just barely starting to get into like doing backflips, getting into like basic elements of acrobatics and whatnot. I'm, I'm doing that closer to, to 40 years old, like getting closer to 40 years old now. And I'm, uh, I feel as though like so many things are, are, are enhancing. And I, I kind of expected this and this isn't really surprising me. Um, but, uh, with that said, there, there have been some surprises that have come along in terms of, uh, what my perceptions are, how I view things about five years ago and, uh, how I see things now. Um, but I I guess, I guess we can get into that as we, as we, uh, hash out more of, uh, more of the details in this conversation. Yeah, for sure. How, how much of that do you feel is your expectation? Like so many people expect to just get worse with age. They expect their body to break down. They expect to need help from caretakers or their kids or anything like that. Have you always (laughs) expected to get better as you get older? Like how much of this is your belief system driving the, uh, the habits and exercise routines and training and recovery that have, have supported this outcome? I do believe the belief has to come along with it, man. But if you don't have the execution, then it's not going to happen. Like there's a lot of people who probably believe the same thing because they were taking some supplement or they were, you know, like, uh, doing some, uh, like hacking thing or some, they were eating some food or whatever. And it never came to fruition for me. I, I just felt like when I, when I looked at organisms, like, like, uh, when I look at an organism move in space and I see the ratios by which it operates and if the ratios are off, how it tends to be degenerative uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and opposite to that, that if you get a look at an organism and it tends to be like as the ratios between moving parts get better, how it tends to be uh, regenerative. Like I, I, I looked at that a long time ago and I, and I felt that I, I had, I was onto something ultimately. I felt like I was okay. This is, that if you can figure out the mechanics of the body and you can actually figure out how it's supposed figure out how it's supposed to move in space down to the millimetric, possibly micrometric point that, uh, th- that if you could essentially harmonize how all aspects of the body are supposed to work, that there would be a great, great return on investment. Um, I, if there was something that I saw a long time ago, probably like 15 years ago, where I was like, man, there's always a correlation between move, people moving like crap and, uh, and aging. That, that mm. when they age and they, they when they age they move terribly and then subsequently that terrible movement uh you know how age and and bad movement in general are always correlated with one another and so I saw that a long time ago and so I felt that I that I had reason to justify the beliefs because I, I know like when you hear about people like Bruce Lipton who talk about how belief can account for so much of what's going to make a person successful I, I I agree with it to an extent, but, but that's only going to account for a certain percentile of of what, uh, what, what accounts for good health. I think on the, on the other, on the other end of that, much of it just comes down to your execution. If your execution sucks, then your results aren't going to be there. And uh, ultimately it's, I I don't, I don't foresee how somebody can have, can, can run on sheer belief alone. Like if I believe that I'm going to stay young, that I'm going to change that. Cause I've had clients 
who were like, you know, real successful business people and whatnot. And they would always tell me like, yeah, you know, like the second you start looking back on your life is the second that you get old. So you always have to keep looking ahead to stay young. But then I'd still look at, the, at them looking like, you know, decrepit, uh, freaking uh, skeletal looking things as they were getting older, bro. So <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I, as much as I do believe belief matters, which it does, uh, for me, uh, precision and execution uh, are king. That to me is what matters more than, ever, than everything for me personally. For sure. For sure. And I've, I've fallen uh, into these traps where like, if, if your biomechanics are off or you've got an imbalance in, in your body, you, you know, you've got tight fascia or, or your muscles aren't firing the way that they're supposed to. Like if you just get into uh, these, these routine movement patterns, you know, running, for example, uh, it just breaks you down faster and it starts to exacerbate injuries. And I think a lot of people don't really get to the root cause of like identifying, diagnosing the problem and then, and then taking the proper steps. Like my brother got me your, uh, 12 week course, the functional patterns, 12 week course a few years ago, uh, 10, weeks, 10 weeks, 10 weeks, or 10 weeks, 10 weeks. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I'm Ten working weeks on sounds it. better. 10 it, commandments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and, and then we're going to get into base 10, base 12 systems and it's going to go real deep. Um, <laughs> but you start out and like the very first week is, is you go hard on finding those imbalances and really working out the fascia and breaking up, you know, the, the, the getting the muscles to fire the way that they're supposed to. How much of that is the process that you do with all of your clients? Like you've got Kyle Dake, one of the best wrestlers in the world, probably could have taken home a, a, an Olympic gold. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping if he competes again, he will. But like, do you see these imbalances across the board or is it far more common in the the, the desk office folks? Well, I, I want to get in because you had mentioned about like how you were, how you had ran and uh, how like you would essentially run yourself into the ground because you, you just keep, you because you, you have imbalances that you haven't accounted for. And you hear a lot of, about people like uh, like David Goggins who say that you should kind of harden up and push through it and whatnot. And although there's like some relevance to that, um, I think that going in, like if you go deeper into it and if you, if you do repeat the same patterns over and over again, it is going to be destructive on the body. So there's got to be kind of a middle ground there. But as it relates to the, the whole notion of whether you find imbalances in people, yeah, there, there's imbalances in people at all levels. It's 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 present everywhere the highest level professional athletes that i've ever seen like have some of the worst imbalances uh, what's important to recognize is that every single body does something correct if it's moving around in space mm -hmm. athletes just do more things correctly than the regular joes that's the difference yeah. but but with that said athletes oftentimes have stronger crutches than general than people in general as well so like mm -hmm. let's say for example like kyle he was a he was like not all athletes are quad dominant, but he was definitely a quad dominant athlete for sure. Yeah. Absolutely quad and lat dominant athlete. And, uh, yeah, and it was too. like, an, it's an isometric function between his lats and his quads where he just, he would drive a lot of power through those two muscles. And so the idea is that how, what, what did I need to do to get him outside of that quad and lat dominance? That was complicated, but ev essentially every single person I've ever met has imbalances. Uh, athletes, the problem with athletes is this, man, is that when, when they push themselves to the limit, Everyone has a spiral malformation. Everybody has some form of an asymmetry or a scoliotic curvature in their spine. Yep. And the, essentially, the harder that you work, the harder you are ingraining those imbalances inside of your body. And guess what athletes are doing? They're pushing themselves to the limit, and they're ingraining those imbalances to the highest capacity. And to disengage that 
is unbelievably tough. Like even working with Kyle, that was, that was one of the greatest concerns that I had working with him. Like anybody who knows wrestling, I've even shown it to people who don't know wrestling. And I, and if you look at Kyle Dake's wrestling style from 2016 until up until he wrestled, like, let's say uh, Jordan Burroughs, that's about the last time that him and I really started working a lot with each other. Um, uh, but it was right before the, the, the Jordan Burroughs matchup. You would, if you see the styles in, in, in Kyle's style, it was completely different. And in order for me to help him overcome his imbalances, I had to over help him overcome, uh, this, this style that he had, where essentially he kind of just try and muscle people. He try and kind of like, he try and lock up with people and try and take them down while he's locking up. But his ability to move in open space was like non-existent. If he tried moving in open space, he would gas out like really, really fast. And so the, the difficult part about working with athletes is that they already have a, a preset archetype, a quote unquote style. And what every coach will tell you is that you can't change an, an athlete's style that you can't, you can't take a, a, an aggressive fighter and turn them into a counter puncher. You can't take a defensive wrestler and make them more of an offensive wrestler or vice versa that you, they, that everybody has a preset style. Essentially that style for every athlete is, is the imbalance. That's, mm. that's their, their predisposition. My biggest struggle is getting an athlete to break free from their archetype and actually change their style to evolve and actually do the impossible. Essentially. I kind of had to do that with Kyle specifically. And, and, uh, and because he's, he's such a high performing athlete, he's so strong. That means that all the dysfunctions that were in his body, were going to be that much stronger and that much more resistant uh, to, to a degree that it would prevent him from being able to make the changes that he needs to. So the, the whole thing is, if anybody needs corrective exercise and if anybody needs to address out their dysfunctions and muscular imbalances, it's athletes. Athletes yeah. need it more than anybody. And the funny part is that they work on it the least out of most people when they're, when they're training because their coaches are just like, yeah, whatever. This is who you are. This is what you do. Uh, this is your style of, of play. So we're not really going to try working around it because it's gotten, you, it's gotten you to where you're at. And so who am I to tell you how to change that? I'm the kind of guy that's saying, yeah, it's gotten you to where you're at, but could you get a lot better? Are there things that you could do a lot better? If Essentially, the way, the way I see it, man, is if, if my body spirals this way, right? If it spirals to the right, if I spiral it to the left, if I can manage to pull that off, if I can orient the anatomy to spiral in the opposite direction, mm -hmm. all that's doing is loading the spiral that, that I already have in my body. So essentially, by strengthening my weaknesses, I actually reinforce my strengths. I actually make my strengths even longer. It's kind of like when you take, it's like when you spiral the band, like if I spiral my body this way, if yeah. I spiral it the other way, now I'm putting more length on that spiral. If I get an extra few inches on that spiral, then that means I get more output to spiral me back in the other direction. So with <laughs> athletes, I only work on their weaknesses per, per the majority. I, I typically work on athlete weaknesses and not really their strengths. When you say spiral, are you talking about movement patterns that are kind of like moving in the tr uh, across the transverse plane, like twisting and, 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 and things like that? Or describe spiraling. Well, this is the thing. The thing is every motion that you do is a rotation. So let's say if I'm like, if I'm like doing, uh, like watch, if you're, I'm going to set up my phone so you can see it real quick sure. watch. and I'll kind of describe it to the people listening. So I'll be here. This right here. So a spiral, a, a lot of what is going to encompass the spiral in the body is rotation. And so if I'm here and I hinge down, there's a mm -hmm. rotation that happens in my pelvis. If I'm squatting down, there's mm -hmm. a rotation that happens here. So you have, the thing is you have different vectors of rotation. 
So like okay. a squat will have that. If I if I if I bend my spine laterally like this, that's actually a rotation. That's a tilt. So no matter no matter what you do, anything that you do is going to encompass a spiral. A spiral can be transverse, which is the most common way that people would assume that that, that would be a spiral formation. But if you look at the transverse from the top, it's just a rotation. If, right. if I take a let's say a deadlift and you start hinging at the hip, it's a rotation. So re- essentially, the, the the way it's going to work, man, is it's a a spiral is just going to encompass like a rotation. Like you've seen the Fibonacci spiral, right? Yeah. Like you'll yeah. see this where something rotates, like it'll rotate like this. All you're doing is adding torque onto the, the spiral formation. And gotcha. so essentially that can happen in all planes of motion. It can happen in the sagittal plane. Uh, well, there, there's three different there's three different types of rotation you can get. So you can get transverse, which runs this way. Mm-hmm. You can get frontal, which runs, runs this way. And then you can have sagittal, which run this way. So right. when I talk about spirals, they happen in all directions. There's, gotcha. there's never a point where, where a spiral is not involved in any single, in any motion if you're doing it correctly. So that, that I believe that Fibonacci spiral might be present in almost every single function, perhaps. I, yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no guarantees, but it probably will be. So yeah, when I talk about spirals, it's just, they're, they're present in everything you do. Rotation, spirals, rotation and spiral are different. A spiral, yeah. I believe, is a, is a rotation of, mixed with an actual motion in space like like a, a perfect rotation is doing this a spiral is actually involves like motion along mm-hmm. with the rotation it's, it's gotcha. when I, I believe when a, when a rotation meets with the motion in space I, that, that's probably the best i could describe it beautiful beautiful I, we're, i'd like to talk in just a moment about back pain and some of the the, the the most common causes, but kind of before we get there, like a, a lot of what you do with your, uh, with, with your coaches and the people that you work with is diagnostics. And, uh, I was curious for our listeners benefit, are there some diagnostic tools that the, the listeners of the biohacking secrets show can engage in to get a sense for how well their body is performing and potential imbalances that need to be addressed? Or is that something that you need somebody else there for, or you at least need to be filming it in order to, to get an idea? I mean, bro, the, the thing is there's not a single body out there. Like my dogs, for example, like my dog, I have my dog, any dog, any animals that I have around me, they turn into high performance animals. I believe they, they mirror whatever frequencies that you put forth. They mirror that. And if you're athletic, and then the dog ends up being more athletic. But if I see my dogs walk, the way that their pelvis sways from side to side when they walk is not similar at all to the way that a human's uh, lumbar sways from side to side. Right. A human, typically what you'll see out of most people when they walk, pretty much all people, it's very rare. When they walk, you're going to notice that they're, that they're like if you look at the, let's say, let's classify this as the axis where the pelvis is going to be. Let's say if a person's walking, like this and if their hips i know i'm kind of moving this sideways or whatever but if the hips are when they're walking if their hips go like in an excessive hike and drop you'll hear a lot about people when they talk about that if a hip goes into a hike like where the pelvis goes up and drops they'll talk about that a lot what they don't talk about is that when you hit the ground essentially this emptiness of a hip hike like essentially like when i step if there's emptiness on that hip hike and there's no muscular drive to that hip hike that's what's going to cause, let's say something like a lower back problem or a knee problem. It's mm. when you have like an empty motion in the knee, let's say if I'm walking and I step and I have like a harsh knee valgus, it's one thing to have a buoyant knee valgus and then rebound off of that knee valgus, right? If it's right. buoyant, you're fine. It's when you step and it's flaccid 
It's like mm. there's, there's like there's an absence of absence of muscular connectivity where you end up getting a problem with, with your body. And essentially what people can do is if they want to, they can uh, go ahead and then videotape themselves. I guess essentially put a videotape, turn, uh, walk away from it, look at their lower back. And if they see the kind of like a, like the jarring in the lumbar or like, like an excessive hike or drop that happens very quickly, then that's going to be an indicator that they're operating from imbalance. How you fix that, bro, that took me, that took about 10 years of research, 11 years of research to finally be able to address. So it took a long time of me intensely looking at that going like, what the hell is going on there to finally get that? I didn't start really fully addressing that probably until about like 2017, 2018 consistently. But to do that does take a certain level of precision. But essentially, if your your SI joint, like your, your sacral iliac joint, if that if that area is is continually getting compressed over and over again, that's going to lead to all sorts of problems in the body. That's probably like the number one imbalance that I, I, that's like the easiest imbalance to look at on a body as it relates to movement. It's that jarring of the pelvis. You'll see it yeah. in people all the time. If you ever go to a park and anybody's ever got their shirt off, it's like, you'll see some people not have that problem when they run. While there's other people that have their pro that problem when they run. If you have that problem where you, where, where you run and the hip begin to kind of like hike and drop, like in a, in a very, very like excessive fashion, it, like the results that we show on, on my, on my functional patterns page, we, we, we highlight that pretty often, but that excessive hiking and dropping, if it's happening while you're running, you're in big, you're in humongous trouble. You need to stop running immediately. If you have yeah. buoyancy while you're doing it, you'll get away with it for a while and be fine. But most people, when they run, they get that excessive jar on the pelvis and that ends up wreaking havoc on their body. So that's one way that you can kind of self-diagnose like, okay, am I, do I have an unstable pelvis? But I'll, I'll tell you straight up, Anthony, that that's the majority of people. The majority yeah, of people yeah. have that problem. And there's not any, there's not anybody who can, uh, from what I've seen, nobody, like I, I used to talk to chiropractors back in the day, physical therapists, and I'd mentioned that problem to them. And they're just like, yeah, I just, I'm like, do you do anything about that? They're like, I just throw my hands up in the air and I just don't even try and bother. Like right. I've talked to multiple, this is like, hell, maybe like 12, 13 years ago, I would talk to physical therapists and chiros and they would just be like, yeah, I just threw my hands up years ago. I don't even bother trying to fix that problem just because it's so, it's so, um, it's, uh, it's, you have to be very calculated to pull that off. If, if you're not moving correctly, then it's going to make it really, really tough to, to, to correct that problem. Is there any place for the, the, the manually powered treadmills for uh, hanging yourself upside down, decompression work to help with that. Do either of those have any relevance in in uh, assisting in the, the the rehabilitation of that issue? This is a, you, have you heard of the said principle? I'm assuming you've heard of the said principle. No. So this, the specific adaptation to impose demands is one of like the most the most fundamental principles in all of exercise, fitness, rehab. It's one of the most important principles you will ever ever hear about. It's called the SAID principle. S A I D. Specific okay. adaptation to impose demands. Essentially, what it means is that like your body is going to adapt to whatever stimuli you you place upon it. Right. Mm -hmm. This is the problem that I have with the with the principle itself. Is that 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 there's no. I guess there's people out there that talk about the specificity according to the said principle. Uh, but, but what people fail to consider is that like, let me put it, this, how, how could I put it? Like if I do, if I walk on my hands, it's a different function than me walking on my feet. Therefore, if I walk on my hands, it shouldn't actually enhance the function of my walking. Right. It's, it's like, you have to, you have to train specifically 
to correct an imbalance. You have to get to the specific nature of what it is that you're trying to correct. So let's say mm-hmm. if you say, hey, look, I'm going to go into a, a non-motorized treadmill and then I'm going to do like upside down hangs. Well, what 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 did the upside down hang recorrect? Is, are there are there new neuromuscular pathways that you created while you were doing that? Perhaps. Do they apply to the multidimensional aspects involved in actual walking or running? Not even close. It's, mm-hmm. the, the, the problem is, Anthony, is that the, the gait cycle is more like for a dog to walk on all fours is not that difficult because it's essentially it's like a table. It has four points of stability for a human being to walk on two feet and then to be able to sprint on two feet the way it does. It's an absolute marvel. It's an absolute marvel what human beings do. And we, and we take for granted the complexity that's involved with, with walking gait. But, it's, but essentially, it comes down to this. It's kind of like, hey, look, I stretched my hamstring. Will I be able to throw a, do a suplex now? Would, would you, that wouldn't seem practical. I'd be like, look, I just, I just stretched my hamstring. Now I'm going to grab somebody and throw them over my head, or I'm going to do a backflip. It wouldn't make sense. So to say, hey, look, I just did this exercise, and then I did this stretch, and uh, will I be able to run better and fix my hip imbalances? There's no way, there's no way that that can happen. And this is, it's, it's kind of like taking a very reductionistic approach to a very complicated problem. And it's, right. it's, it's kind of like, it's taking uh, linear math equations to try and solve a nonlinear problem. It's like you, you can't use arithmetic to solve a, a complex calculus equation. And mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately people in our industry, they kind of take more of a, they, they take a, a more of a simplistic, oversimplified approach to trying to fix uh, like the, these really, really complicated problems uh, in hopes that somehow things will get figured out. But they never do, man. So I, I guess you well, let me put it this way. It depends on what you're trying to do, man. If like if you're like me and you're trying to be able to sprint when you're 120 years old, then that's not going to be the wisest approach to, uh, to, to take. If you're a person who's like, you know what, I want to be pain free for the next four or five years until I need to get a hip replacement or uh, until I need some kind of a, a spine fusion surgery or some kind of spine surgery or knee replacement. And then I go through the medical system of continually needing like joint surgeries, that, joint, inter, uh, uh, sur- uh, joint surgeries or interventions from, from, uh, from doctors. If, if you want to take that route, then essentially you can do the stretching and then moving around. Like, like Joe Rogan, I believe has had like three different knee replacements or multiple knee surgeries, Right. Um, like he was talking, I, I watched a podcast with him and Cameron Haynes yesterday where he was talking about how Mike Bisping had uh, two complete knee replacements after his MMA career was done. And I'm just like, what? Like he was operating with like my, like when I, when I work with Kyle Dake, he doesn't have, like when I'm working with him and I'm on top of him and he's around and he's like following the protocols and he's doing everything to plan that guy doesn't feel any pain. And he's in wrestling. Wrestling is way more brutal on the body than MMA is. It's not even close. Like it's, especially at the, at the level that, that if if any MMA fighters tried to wrestle at the level and try to do the dynamics of what like the highest level wrestlers do, their joints would just explode. There's there's no way their joints would be able to. They would they would tear every ligament in their damn body if they try to do what high level wrestlers do because it's a freaking train wreck. But essentially, it's like uh, it, it comes down to this: Do you want to do you want to have a closer pursuit of immortality and actually regenerate as you get older? then you have to train specific. You have to be very specific and calculated with what you're going to do. If you kind of just say, Hey, look, man, I, I'm going to live about 80, 85 years. And I don't really care that much. Then you could take the, you could take the approach of like, Hey, look, I'll hang upside down and I'll run on a treadmill. You could do that for a while until he's going to nip you in the butt. And I've told this to people for years and I, I was the ultimate buzz kill to people because I would say things like that. Lo and behold, five years, six years pass, and all those people who were doing the CrossFit, who were doing the yoga, who were doing all the hypermobility work are starting to flock and drone. Like, 
every FP, there's so many FP facilities that we have, not every one of them, but a good majority of the FP facilities that we have are booked solid. They're not having problems getting deal with any clients because people have done the traditional physical therapy. They've done the traditional rehab and that, which involves lots of passive manipulations, which is just kind of like passively stretching the body. Uh, they've done like the, the, like the empty corrective exercises, like the, the linear based math corrective exercises, that's not working. And it's ultimately a lot of this comes down to the said principle that you, that you're going to, that you need to adapt specifically. And, and, and it, like the more specific that you adapt a body, the better results you're going to get. But that, and that's the complication that when you start having to figure out the nitty gritty of what's going on here, man, it gets, it gets really, really complicated. It gets really, really yeah. complex. And I think it's the main reason that people kind of tend to avoid uh, the things that I talk about just because it's, it's, it generally tends to get really, it's hard. It's hard because there's, there's a lot of unknowns when you take this path. And if you hear any athlete that I talk to, or if you listen to anybody who like does my method, they're like, you know what, this, this makes more sense, but it is more complicated. And unfortunately yeah. people, they, they don't, they don't like uncertainty and they don't like complexity, unfortunately, uh, right. even though that's, those are probably the areas where they're going to need, they're going to solve the most problems. Yeah. Yeah. One of, uh, I was talking with one of my best friends the other day and he said, he's been doing Murph Mondays, which is like that CrossFit workout where you throw on yeah. a 25 pound weight vest, yeah. you run a mile, you do like a hundred pushups, hundred pull, or it's like a hundred pull-ups, 200 pushups. He's like, dude, do it and tell me your time. And I was like, I looked at it and I was like, Oh, this looks terrible. <laughs> um, we're, 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 we're in a, we're, we're in a very dangerous place. I don't think, I don't think like people really fully uh, understand where we're at, like as a species, like the danger in this, because what, what I've found is that babies themselves occupy the same mechanics as their parents. And it's not all like conditioned by through mirror neurons. It's actually genetic. Like if a, no. if a, if a, if a mother or father have a knee valgus, the child is very, very likely to get the same knee valgus, not because they copy the parents and how they move, but because the bone, based upon how the, the genetics work, the body has said, well, this is how we grow the tibia. This is how we grow the femur. And this is how we arrange it. People don't understand that what they're doing to themselves is they're, they're pretty much programming their children to probably at some level have, you know, degenerative disc disease in their, in their twenties. And they're, 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 they're pretty much shooting themselves in the foot. Like if you, if you have imbalances and you have a child, I believe that you are going to bring on those imbalances to your, to your offspring. So if we think about that from generation to generation, if people keep making stupid decisions like this, that it's going to have major consequences to the next generations. I think people really need to take that into consideration because if you just keep mm -hmm. doing all this, let me just mutilate myself. Yeah, great. And you think that there's no consequence to that? Well, take a look around. We have, we have if people were really healthy, Anthony, would you think COVID would be as, as damaging as what it is to people right now? Mm -hmm. Let's be real. Yeah, no, not, 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 not at all. And you look at the people who are dying, it's, it's the people with comorbidities, the people that are obese, the people that, you know, rely on the system. And, and in some ways, you know, the system has done, it's, it's great. I think that there's, there's benefits in certain cases. Like I axed my hand in North Carolina. I was glad that the system was there to reattach two of my extensor tendons. But, I'm glad too, man. That's good. <laughs> that's yeah. Like that's, 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 that's one of the cases where I'm glad the system exists, but there's also a lot of other cases where things like surgeries, uh, PRP stem cells, they allow people to ignore the underlying problem. Yes, if, exactly. If, if they actually went and Absolutely. corrected it, it could result in being able to sprint when you're, you know, 100, 120 years old, like you, like yes. you discussed. Um, what, what does your weekly 
let's, I don't, I don't want to call it movement. Cause I know there's, there's a lot of uh, work and biomechanics and things like that, but what do you try to get in on a weekly basis? <laughs> that's, bro, that's it. This is a problem, bro. Like usually I don't know, like, like a common problem that I dealt with even running the company was that like, uh, people had a preconception, like multiple people, this has gone on since I, like my happiest times of my, and I'll bring this up, but I'll, I'll bring it, I'll bring it in full circle. The happiest times of my life were prior to bringing in, in um, uh, interns and, and running certifications because everybody would impose the creative, they would assume they knew what the creative process was and how I innovated until they saw how I did things in person. And then usually they're in disbelief because it just looks like a, you know, like when you look at like a physicist and it looks like they're just like, like just scribbling a bunch of shit on the, on a board. Yeah. That's kind of what my life looks like. Essentially. It looks like that, except I don't even understand the math. I don't understand it. Like it's probably more my, my reptilian, my R complex is probably picking up on it. And then it's probably talking to my neocortex and there's probably connections that are forming there. So the, the, the problem is this bro is I can't really, I can't even like, you, you know, like you, you, you could, Everybody understands their routine. Some people drink coffee in the morning, right? Then they go out for a walk. They, maybe they read the news or they watch some YouTube videos. Like people can kind of figure out what their cycle is, what their, what their, what their uh, loop is. I'm mm-hmm. still trying to find out what my loop is. I'm mm-hmm. not fully certain, bro. Like really at, at some point, what I've done is I've said, okay, now take your hands off the steering wheel and just see where your body is going to take you. Because obviously you don't have any control over this. And this Naudi guy, that you think that you have control over, you don't have control over this fucker. So what you need to do is just let this guy do what he's going to do. He seems to have a good intuition. Just hold on for the ride and try and calm down while you're going through it, man. So it's hard for me to say like what I, what types of movements I try and get in, bro, because it's like, it's never, uh, it's never a process of like, like this is the kind of move. I, don't, I haven't even trained running in like the last hell. What's it been? maybe like six, seven, eight months. I haven't even tried running. I'm going to maybe try it today to see if I can cause a little bit of inflammation on my body so I can feel what ways I compress my body. And then I might incorporate that today. I was talking to my, to my partner yesterday and she was like, and I told her, Hey, like, um, I think what I'm going to do tomorrow is I'm going to go out for about like a, like a one or two mile run and just see how my, how my body deals with shock. And I, and I'm from there, I want to try and tune into my body to see if I can reverse engineer how my, what my defaults are when I run. And uh, so I'm going to just go, I'm going to go off for a run and, and do that. But bro, my, like the level of predictability, it's what I do is unpredictable and I try not to predict it. And I, and I think that in general, when people try predicting too much or they try and set themselves into a routine, it stifles creativity. What I found. Totally. Yeah. And so, so on my end, I don't, I don't really have a, I'm in an, I'm in another reality. I'm like, I feel like I'm on another planet, bro. And most people that are around me, they kind of see it. Even people that are right next to me. Like I have, I have students that are like, man, if only I could get an inside look as to what now he's doing. And I'm like, you could take a look at what I'm doing, but you're going to be scratching your head going like, how did this fucker just arrive at that conclusion? When the, the frame he was occupying with was completely different than the frame he's occupying today. This doesn't make any sense. And I'll have that happen with my, with people that are around me. Like my boy, Pablo, he, he'll talk about like, you know, like I'll see you training and it's bewildering because you'll be working with a client. And then like, I saw what you were working on yesterday or the day before. And then you literally scratch that completely. And then you go to a completely different frame of reality when it comes to addressing their body in a way that I could never even have accounted for. So it's, it's hard for me to like, 
And a lot of this shit, I don't like, I don't like trying to say this stuff either, man, because I'm not trying to toot my own horn or, or trying to make myself out to be like some mad scientist or whatever. But quite honestly, bro, like I don't even understand the, pro- like, obviously it works. The process yeah. works. You look at functional patterns and you look at the results that we get. It's like the process works. I don't fully understand it yet though. I, I kind of feel like a, like a, like a guitarist who's really good at playing the guitar but doesn't understand understand fully why he understands how to play the guitar pretty well. Right. That's kind of where I'm at at the moment, man. So I, I, I guess there's some things I'm, I'm like, I try and get outside. I'll say yeah. that like, maybe not mechanically, but I make sure I try and get outside right now. I'm in the sun. I'm sitting in the Me sun. Too. I try, I try and do things like that to get out and out into the sun. I make sure I, you know, you, I do the same things other people do. You make sure you drink enough water. Um, mm-hmm. But, but even be it, it, so much of what I do, man, is it, it operates on a feeling. And, mm-hmm. and trying to figure out what I'm, here we go. Here we go. I got something for you, Anthony. Okay, here we go. All right. I got it. I'm like processing it as I'm talking. I try and, uh, I, I, saturation of anything is the enemy of, of, of regeneration. Do you see what I'm saying? When you yes, saturate yes. something, that's what causes the process of degeneration. So mm-hmm. I try and find out what motions I'm saturating myself in. And I try and avoid those specific motions, which is pretty much, everything I do like the, I, in, the inverse of CrossFit. Yes, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yes, but so, so let me, let me put it this like, like, let's say if I have like, um, if I, let's say if I, if I've been, if I've been eating a lot of meat, right. Let's mm-hmm. say if I've been eating specifically a lot of lamb at some point, I'm going to find a point at some point I'm, I'm going to saturate myself in eating lamb too much. And if I eat lamb too much, eventually what that's going to make me do is kind of feel like crap. I'll start feeling like my colon gets a little bit inflamed. Mm-hmm. My, 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 I'll start getting a little bit more of an intestinal bloating. And so my job is to get myself when I eat food right to the place where I'm almost going to feel inflammation and then cut that food off and then move off to another food group. I'll start eating mm-hmm. more salmon. And then eventually, mm-hmm. let's say if, once I've eaten salmon for a good week and a half, two weeks, I cut that off and then I start eating, uh, like uh, beef. I believe you could, would classify that almost like a rotation diet. I believe is mm-hmm. what it would be. So mm-hmm. I take the same approach with my mechanics. I'll say, okay, look, I've been working on my upper body a lot over the last two weeks. Like I'll work on a lot, a lot of upper body, like different uh, components to training my upper body in terms of trying to correct imbalances. And I'm like, all right, I believe I've saturated myself in this long enough. I need to move on to an- other joints in my body to see if I can kind of find out how they track and how they move. And then mm-hmm. I'll make that adjustment. The thing is, I can't predict how that's going to work because my body says, all right, well, I've had enough of you con- trying to condition this one area of my body. It's time to move on and work on another end. Uh, mm-hmm. I go through processes of training, but then also, Anthony, there, there's times, bro, right? Like I literally will, um, I won't train for a month at all. Yeah. And literally the rest. I'm the, I'm the same way. Yeah. Well, I won't train and I only visualize the way that I want to move. So mm-hmm. I just watch film and I say, that's what I want to move like. And I just visualize how I'm supposed to move in space correctly. And then I use that as a, as a way to kind of like set up my next workouts, in this, mm-hmm. not workouts, how to set up my next movements, the ones that I'm going to do. It's kind of a complicated process, bro. I'm probably all over the places. I'm trying to, no, it makes, it, right it, now. it makes sense. I mean, honestly, man. So I, like I, I was, I did personal training for years and, and was pretty good at it. And like, and then that was even before writing the biohackers guide and launching all of this. There's very few people that, uh, whose, whose body of work I admire. It's, it's, it's you, Trevor Whitman, um, the, 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 the Dagestani guys for a variety of reasons, but what's coming out of like Russia and Kazakhstan and, and, you know, with, uh, Islam and, and, uh, Kamzat and those guys, like very few 
people that I really look up to. And you are one of them and you are a bit of a mad Thank scientist. You. So uh, you do deserve you. Uh, a, a, a pat it's, it's, on the back. And if you won't give yourself it, I'll give it to you. <laughs> well, well, bro, just to keep this in mind, sometimes good scientists aren't the best communicators. And I feel like that's the case for myself many times where yeah. I'm not the most. So to the audience who's listening to me right now, I apologize. I'm not the most effective communicator. Like I'm an effective communicator when I have a group of people with me and I teach them my fundamentals. And then I'm like, okay, you see this problem here. This is how we're going to address the problem. So like, I, I can't explain the general parameters of, of what, of what I do, but mm -hmm. I, I could explain specific contextual elements to say, this is when it works here. And I found that to be the case out of any great coach. There's yeah. another coach that you could look at he, and you won't find him anywhere. Cause it's like, like you just won't find him. You don't even know who he is. There's no way you would. His name is Bill Zadick. He's a, He's a head national team coach for the for the for Team USA. Um, you won't hear about this guy. Just How do you spell that like, last name? Uh, Z A D I C K. Bill Zadick. Okay. And anyway, Bill Zadick is a <clears throat> is a dude where <clears throat> I find that with Bill Zadick, he's like a he's a guy that um, like you know I'll talk to him and I'll ask him questions like because he he's a, he trains a, the the uh, American national wrestling team. And so I've, I've been lucky enough to, to get to go and hang out to a lot of these camps going with Kyle Dake and whatnot. And so I get to hang out and I, I unlike strength, strength coaches and whatnot, I put myself in the environment and I'm trying and I try and like mirror what they do. I try and mirror it and understand it. Obviously, like I've had to build a base to be able to do that without completely smashing my joints into a million pieces, which is why most people avoid rest. like in MMA, the people that avoid what do you think the, the martial art is that people avoid most? Obviously, you're going to say wrestling, right? Like, because I'm already kind of like leading you down that path, but wrestling is the sport that MMA fighters avoid the most. Why do you think that is? Just because it's, of how hard it is. It, well, it's, it's because of the, of the, of the force vectors that are involved in it, the force vectors and the force productions that are involved in wrestling. It's the hardest sport in the world, bro. I'll tell you that much. I right. avoided it. And I was like very much to want to do like judo and jujitsu and whatnot. Those sports are nowhere near as invasive as wrestling. Like wrestling will explode joints if you don't know what the hell you're doing. It's mm -hmm. absolutely freaking brutal, bro. Absolutely br brutal. Yeah. Anyway, um, watching Bill Zadick, when I've, when I've gotten chances to talk to him, and I, like, I've, fortunately, I've gotten enough chances to have like pretty in-depth conversations with him. When you ask him a question, he can never give you a clear answer. He's like me. He's like scatterbrained. He's all over the place. Like it's yeah. hard to pin him down. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, so when this person does this move here, does that mean after he does that move that he could do this? And he, he and you'll see him go, um, uh, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, you could, but no, you don't want to do that. No, I don't know. I, I can't really give you a clear answer. And I'm like, that's when I know that the, that's when I know the coach is great. That's what yeah. I know. And as somebody who's pretty good at their job, I, I can't give clear answers to anything. You can only give contextual answers uh, to contextual situations. You can right. never give general answers to everything, bro, because you understand the contextual nature of how we're operating in this space. There's never, there's never a, a one size fits all situation because everybody is different. And like every single body, not everybody, every body is different, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody has different dysfunctions. Everybody has different generational traumas. Everybody has different program traumas from their, from their upbringing. Everybody has different athletic potentials. Everybody is different. And so therefore you can never give a one size fits all approach to every single human body. But that said, you can, I, I just said that, but you can, you, you actually can do that. 
But in order to do that, you have to get to the to the bedrock of what it means to be a human being on a mechanical scale, which is what I do in my human biomechanics specialist courses is I teach people the bedrock of what all motion really is, what oppositional motion is, what oppositional shearing is. I mean, what what generally speaking, how associative memory works within the body as it relates to how muscles connect to the brain and how that connects to fascia. These are the things that I, that I, uh, that I can focus on that kind of, they're like the most common denominators to movement. But in order for me to do that, I have to get technical with people. Like mm -hmm. there's an interview with, uh, you've heard of Richard Feynman before is a, a pretty famous, uh, physicist. Okay. Uh, I, the, the name sounds familiar, but yeah, like there's, there's an interview where he talks about mathematics and physics. And this guy asked him, uh, uh, he asked him about a basic physical phenomenon. <clears throat> and then Feynman's like, how the problem is I can't really explain this to you because if, if a person doesn't have like a basic technical understanding of mm. what it is that I'm talking about, it's going to be really hard to explain things to them. Like if somebody wants to understand physics at some level, they have to understand mathematics to figure that out. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the problem comes down to that. When I try explaining the new world of functional patterns to people, they don't understand like the general background, the nuts and bolts behind things. So when they ask a question, they, they, they don't know how specific they want that answer to be. That's the right. hard part. So when For I tell sure. people, get when I tell people get on the 10 week online course and really move from week four all the way to about week 10. And when you understand that code that I put forth, I can then explain things in a contextual manner where I don't sound like a scatterbrained idiot trying to find <laughs> like trying to find general words to explain things to a person who may not fully understand what I'm trying to explain totally. at a fundamental level. Do you get what I'm saying? Absolutely. It's, it's, like, it's like a biochemist trying to explain something to my idiot ass. Like I'm going to be like, I understand very little about biochemistry. For I'm, sure. I'm not a biochemist. And so if they try explaining how this chemical responds to this chemical, I'm going to be like, well, I don't even know why they respond that way. And I, I could try and asking questions, but until I understand their fundamentals, I may never actually fully get to a, to a better place of, of, of seeing where they're coming from. And they may sound a little bit crazy to me, which is why I think sometimes people would look at a guy like me and be like, okay, uh, he's not communicating very effectively. <laughs> totally. Now more than 2000 years ago, Hippocrates, who many consider to be the father of Western medicine said, quote, give me the power to create a fever and I shall cure any disease, end quote. Now, the reason Hippocrates said this is because when we induce uh, or have a naturally occurring fever, there's a number of things that happen. The immune system gets stimulated. We see the growth of bacteria and viruses slow down, in some cases come to a complete halt. The production of white blood cells, the primary agents of our immune system is stimulated and the rate of their release into the bloodstream is increased. And the generation of antibodies speeds up, as does the production of interferon, which is an antiviral protein that also has powerful cancer-fighting properties. Now, many of you know that I had overcome Lyme disease as part of my journey, but uh, what you may not know is that this past October, I was up at our lake house and I got bit two more times, and I was knocked out. I slept for almost 24 hours. And even though I tried to be proactive by taking uh, a, a month's worth of the antibiotic doxycycline, I, I'd felt off after that. And what I found over the years, and the more I kind of dug into some of the pioneering research on Lyme disease and this condition caused by the, the sp spirochete Borrelia burgdorferi, is that 
Many times when we do ozone or ultraviolet blood radiation or we use IV light therapy, it's able to clear out the bacteria that's in our blood, but it's not so effective at getting into the brain, the central nervous system, and the connective tissue where these uh, spirochete bacteria can almost hibernate and then start to multiply and come back out when the coast is clear. And this is one of the reasons that many people do courses and courses of IV antibiotics, oral antibiotics. They do herbal protocols like the Cowden protocol or the the, the Bunner protocol, all of which I've done and uh, to the nth degree. And a lot of times you end up in this loop where you feel good for a few months or half a year or a year, and then uh, you kind of find yourself not feeling so good again. And um, I can certainly relate to that in some ways. And I know a lot of people that have dealt with Lyme or have had loved ones deal with chronic Lyme um, can relate. Well, there is a clinic in Bad Eibling, uh, Germany, called St. George. And they have pioneered a process called extreme whole body hyperthermia. Based on some of the research from the 1927 Nobel Prize, they found that the Borrelia bacteria is very similar to the bacteria that causes syphilis. And its Achilles heel is heat. Specifically, when you heat the body up to around 107 degrees in a safe, controlled, medically supervised uh, scenario, and you keep it there for two hours, the bacteria can't survive. And they've developed a protocol that combines this extreme whole body hyperthermia, two sessions, one week apart over a period of two weeks, and then 10 days of intravenous um, hyperthermia, augmented antibiotic therapy, a whole host of IV vitamins and cocktails, along with some cutting edge biohacks. And their efficacy in curing Lyme disease is second to none. The medical director who I just had on the Biohacking Secrets show, Dr. Uh, Frederick Dows, he's helped over 25,000 people uh, with this treatment and combining it with low levels of chemotherapy for cancer. And uh, he discovered almost on accident that it was just as effective for people dealing with chronic Lyme. And he's now helped uh, 2,500 people from all over the world overcome Lyme disease. And these are people that in many cases had seen five, 10, 15 plus doctors and been told there's essentially nothing we can do for you. And they've come here and had a tremendous amount of success. And I can tell you that in just two treatments, I'm already feeling better than I've felt in a really long time. And uh, this upcoming week, we're doing some intravenous uh, laser therapy combined with IV riboflavin to knock out Bartonella, Babesia, and some of the co-infections that can accompany Lyme, but are much harder to treat if you haven't first addressed the Lyme Borrelia bacteria that uh, has a very potent immune suppressing effect. So if you or someone you know uh, have been dealing with chronic Lyme, either you had it and you're in a good place right now, but you're concerned it may come back, or you're experiencing some of these cyclical fluctuations with brain fog, uh, bad moods, 
low energy, etc. I encourage you to go to uh, clinic-st-george.de slash en. I know that's a little bit uh, hard to interpret, so I'll I'll spell it out for you. But if you just Google search Clinic St. George, K-L-I-N-I-K-S-T-G-E-O-R-G in bad eibling, B-A-D space A-I-B-L-I-N-G, Germany, you'll see uh, all of the information that I'm talking about and some of these different therapies that they have developed um, and that work exceedingly well with this extreme whole body hyperthermia. That website, one more time, is K-L-I-N-I-K-S-T-G-E-O-R-G.de slash E-N. And that'll give it to you in English. So I encourage you, if you know someone that's got cancer, Lyme disease, anything chronic, including Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, dementia, uh, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, get on a call with the medical staff at Clinic St. George and see if it might be a fit for you to come out here, get yourself sorted. Um, I'm already feeling a world of difference and I'm really excited for the weeks to come because those little ticks, uh, they can get you. <laughs> All right. Now back to the episode. Well, and then there's also like the fact that most people that are really good in this arena are, are extremely kinesthetic rather than like auditory yes. and visual. Yes, so when you, exactly. you have to take something kinesthetic and translate it, it's like, it almost feels like there's a disconnect between the understanding and the verbal communication. Well, the, the problem is this, Anthony, my, my KQ greatly exceeds my IQ. And that's yeah. my issue. As I need to, I need to maybe grow my brain, develop a little bit more uh, neocortex. And then at that point, if I can do that and get more IQ, then that will give me the capacity to explain myself more effectively uh, because I'm still trying to, I'm trying to up my IQ by making my brain bigger. When so we I launch pre-work, I'll What's send that? you a bottle. When we launch pre-work, I'll send you a bottle. It's like I'm miracle game. grow I'm, for your brain. <laughs> okay. I'm game. I'm totally game for, does it have caffeine in it? A little bit. Yeah. I, I can't, but I'm, I'm caffeine. If you make a caffeine free version of it, I'm game for it. All, all right. Day. We'll make a caffeine make, free version. Make me a caffeine free <laughs> version of it, Anthony. And I will take that in a heartbeat. I, I, I'm right. caffeine free though, bro. So I, I can't really, do that's impressive. What, uh, yeah, how long have bro. you been caffeine free? My whole life. No, I mean, no I mean, I, I use, I'll use caffeine maybe once a year, if that, but I mean, yeah. I've gone entire years without using caffeine. I mean, under very rare circumstances, the, the, like th this is a thing, bro. I think we're, like, I'm not particularly a smart individual. I feel like I you're a unicorn. <laughs> yeah, bro. Caffeine, not consuming caffeine is nothing. Like for me, I, that's nothing. It's literally nothing. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I believe that the, the reason people need caffeine, bro, is because they lack mental endurance. So yeah. we, we've heard about like physical endurance that you can run 10 miles, 15 miles, whatever. It's like, there's such a thing as physical endurance and there's such a thing as mental endurance. I think people just get mentally tired very, very easily. Mm -hmm. And what I, I believe genetically, what I have that most people don't have is mental endurance. Like, let's say for example, uh, there was one time, maybe about, I think two years ago, three years ago, I, I, I went to, I was going to go to a camp with, uh, with Kyle Dake. And I didn't want to fly. I was like, I don't feel like flying. So what I'm going to do is go from Seattle, Washington and drive all the way across to New York. I, I maybe slept 20 minutes that entire time. Holy 20 minutes. Shit. Yeah. And I've done that multiple times. We went one time from, I think it was, I think I, we drove from San Diego all the way to Florida. And I think I gave myself like a four hour rest. There was one time I was, uh, 
I was, uh, we, the, 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 one of my, one of my students had helped me, uh, like polish the flooring on my, like we wanted, I, I bought a concrete grinder. We grind, we wanted grinding down the concrete and, uh, and it was total pain in the ass. We were like just learning it as we were going with it. And, uh, we, I, we worked 40 hours straight. No like, so for me, I'll eat a 24 hour day, like for breakfast, bro. As it relates to work, it's like fucking breakfast to me. And you've and always been because, that way. Uh, yes. And since I remember like, I, it didn't really switch on until I was maybe like, ah, it's always been that way. There, I've always been super like the term obsessive, I think is like, I, I think I probably fit that, that uh, yeah, thing, but I, my brain, my brain doesn't like switched off from shit. And so like, yeah, I think since I was like 20, I think I was 20 years old when I first started producing music. And yeah, I yeah. remember like way back, I would like my, my boy, uh, Robert almost, we would record music way back in the day. And I'd be, I'd be up at like four 30 in the morning. I'd be knocking on his door, like at five in the morning being like, Hey bro, like, let me in. I want to record. And we'd be done like at three, four in the morning. And yeah. then like, I'd, I'd wake up maybe two, three hours later, I'd be right back in the studio banging on his door. He'd be drinking coffee. I didn't need any coffee at that point. And so I, I, for whatever reason, I, I believe that I think that mental endurance is something that people don't train themselves enough on to just, they need to learn to be tired and then work their way through being tired, essentially yeah. mental, mental fatigue. It's one thing that I've done and I don't ever, yeah, I don't need coffee at all, man. I've never, let me put it this way. There came a point where I started feeling like I needed coffee. And then I was like, bro, this is maybe 11, 12 years ago. And then mm -hmm. I was like, what are you doing to yourself? You're borrowing energy from tomorrow by taking caffeine. It's like, you're convincing your body that it has energy that it doesn't. And so yeah. therefore you need to try and actually like find out what's wrong with your body to make sure that it produces the energy. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to just get tired. And then I, I believe it or not, a lot of this shit is mechanical, uh, Anthony, a lot of this shit's mechanical that if you're mechanically inefficient, like, let me put it this way. If the more neurological you are, the more neurotic that you are, the more that you occupy the nervous system and the less that you occupy the fascial system, the odds are the more that your brain is going to use your metabolize things and that your body's going to metabolize less things and that you're going to be in a crisis. A lot of times people just burn themselves out with, uh, with fight or flight mechanisms. And that's what makes them tired. So for so, me, yeah. so for me, I, I tend to op operate more in my fascia than I do in my neurons. I, I think I have a good balance between both. Most people are neurotic. They, they, they actually occupy it at the nerves region. And that's why they're so anxious and we're because nerves are fast. They're quick. But if you look at fascia, it's slow the way that it does things. Like if I throw a punch, like when, if you throw a punch neurotically, you're going to be like stiff, like super yeah. stiff. Whereas if you throw it fastly, it's going to be fast, but it's going to be more pumpy when you throw the shot. And, right. it, and it's an, and the motion is going to have more fascia involved in it. Not just, not just from a fibrous aspect where like fascia pulls, but from like a pumping sensation where fascia pumps and it creates motion. I find that the more pumpy you can make your body, the more buoyant you can make your body, that energy kind of comes as an automatic and that people in my community, they don't have issues with caffeine. Like they, they overcome it because I, I, I take them from being neurotic to fashion, to neuromyofascic or something like that. I take the brain, right. the fascia and the muscle, I unite them. And then subsequently they become more efficient. And then at that point, when they wake up in the morning, they're ready to tackle the day. Are you talking about a, little, a similar journey of going from like sympathetic dominant to, to, to more parasympathetic? Absolutely. This is how you do it. So the yeah. thing is, everybody talks about like, well, I got to take this supplement or I got to take that supplement or I got to do this meditation or whatever. The problem is, bro, is that, that, that people look at things from a biochemical standpoint and they look at it from a, from a uh, nutritional standpoint many times, but they don't actually see it from the biophysical, which is something that Dr. Jack Cruz has talked about. I know you've spoken to Jack Cruz in the past. Mm -hmm. He talks about the biophysics, but the part that he's never taken into account 
is the, the biomechanical. The fact that mm-hmm. the mechanics. So let me put it this way: If you see it, is there a common tendency between every crackhead and meth head that you've ever seen? What's the most common tendency you will see? Because those people are the extreme of anxiety. What do they? What do they represent? Like, what, what do they do? Bio. What do they do physically that you can always see? Uh, I mean, they move very quickly. They're often lacking teeth. Uh, but you, you listen to the the fundamental aspect of it. They're very twitchy. That's the problem. The more twitchy that you are in certain areas of your body, the more neurotic that you are, essentially the, the, the more that you're going to be oriented into the sympathetic state of of the the sympathetic, uh, tone, you're going to be in the the sympathetic tone, the more neurotic that you are. Whereas if you're more buoyant, there's like a, there's a smooth, it's not, I don't like to use the term flow. The reason I don't like the term flow is because guys who do jujitsu, they flow, but it's a flaccid flow. Mm. Guys who wrestle at a very high level. Like when I get, when I, when I try and get, like when I work with athletes, like anytime I work with combat athletes, you can always tell, you can see the difference in what they look like from other people. It, it's, it's like a different, it's a different kind of human, essentially mm-hmm. one that's thick. There's a thickness to it. Mm-hmm. Like anytime people look at me, they're like, bro, now you're always getting like, you're thick. But like when I hit the ground, there's not like a twitch. Remember how I told you about that whole pelvis where the pelvis charge and the ice mm-hmm. up and drops. It's like that, that, that motion becomes absent in your movement. Like and a then suppleness. Next thing you know, yes. Well, but even with the term supple, it's kind of like you get that term from Kelly Starrett. Cause he wrote the books and supple leopard. That guy's out getting knee replacements now because he, he, he flaccidized himself, bro. He, he made his body completely flaccid and that's why he wanted needing a, a knee replacement surgery. So I don't oh, even like using the term supple because it's kind of been bastardized. And it's like gorillas. That's, that's have, not good for the brand. <laughs> it's not, it's definitely not. It's definitely not. That's why they had to probably rebrand a lot of shit. Not, not to, I'm not trying to, to, to completely shoot the guy down, but yeah, I, I don't like to use the term supple because he's taken it and he's kind of ruined it. What I like to use is the term viscous, it's like tree sap right? Yeah. That there's a, there's a viscosity to your tissues. And there, there's like a, a fluid transfer that runs through your body. That's thick. It's not watery. It's not mm-hmm. watery. It's thick. It's, it's non-Newtonian fluid that's running through your body. When you get this non-Newtonian fluid running through your body, you feel completely different. It, it changes mm-hmm. everything. You're, it, this is what, get, because people try and find hacks. Like if you look at the Wim Hof method, they'll do the breathing, the inhalations and exhalations to temporarily switch off the sympathetic nervous system to temporarily do that. But what people don't recognize is what switches on your sympathetic tone to begin with is misbehavior. It's when you misbehave that you end up getting these problems. Well, how do we classify misbehavior? Well, this is how I classify it. I classify misbehavior most of the time as the, the as ra- the ratios uh, between moving parts, not being proportional to one another. Okay. Mm-hmm. So to simplify it, a dog, you can tell when a dog is, is, is anxious. What's a, what's a telltale sign of a dog being anxious? Following you around, shaking, nervousness. Shaking, shaking one, nervousness, it's tail tucking between its legs. Mm-hmm. Caesar Milan talks about, okay, what if I tie, uh, if a dog has a tail and I tie a, a string around its tail and I pull it up and I keep it there for an hour, is that going to change the dog's mood? Well, Tony Robbins might say yes, but I would, my, my, my instinct is to say no. Well, it, it does work. I've, I've tampered with yeah. this. It does work, but yeah. there's a key, there's a key component to it. No, it does. If yeah. you change the thing is Tony Robbins, he doesn't know how to change body language. He's full of shit. He's, he understands the general concept of it, but if you don't change the mechanics correctly on your posture, then your demeanor doesn't change. Right. One, sorry. I think it may, uh, am I, st- I'm, I'm sorry. It just, yeah, yeah, I'm, we're I'm good. getting lower on the battery. Yeah. Um, 
Tony Robbins doesn't know how to change posture. Jordan Peterson, he says, what's one of the, 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 the things that you need to do to attain good mental balance? You need to change your body language, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the problem is these guys don't know how to change body language. Mm-hmm. They don't understand because body language falls under the umbrella of biomechanics. And in order to change biomechanics correctly, you or body language correctly, you have to understand biomechanics fundamentally. And so that's that's the, then then goes into the, the whole notion of misbehavior. That if you can address the ratios between the moving parts in your body and your body language is congruent at a deep level, because I know I've seen people who try and elicit good body language and it's not good body language. Jordan Peterson does not have good body language. Uh, Tony Robbins does not have good body language. Tony Robbins is essentially a bag of meat with 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 very very proximal stability at the spine, but it's almost like flaccid stability. That's mm. not real. That's not good body language. So the mm-hmm. whole thing is the depth. We have to find a proper determinant of good body language. Let me put it this way: If your upper traps don't have development, it's impossible to have good body language. If your head looks more like a circle than it does like a square, you can't have good body language. If you're if you don't have all four quadriceps apparent in your body and they're and they're not clearly buoyant and propelling movement, you do not have good body language. If you don't have a six pack or an eight pack. And it's and it's and it's not an athletic viscous eight pack. You do not have good body language. So the thing is, people's perception of what good body language even is doesn't even make sense. They don't even have the framework to establish good body language. If you've seen my physique over the last maybe year, year and a half, it's changed substantially because I'm starting to encompass real a better understanding of the fundamentals of biomechanics, and that's enabling me to have better body language. And if I have good body language then guess what? I'm not misbehaving anymore. And if I'm not misbehaving, now I can eat. I can be like very, very disciplined in my eating. I don't, honestly, at this point, uh, Anthony, I don't think I have any vices anymore. I don't really think I have vices. I think everything I do for the most part has functionality attached to it. And it's subsequently why I keep getting better and better with everything. Cause I don't have vices. I don't really have, I don't drink alcohol. I've never really have, but I mean, I feel less inclined to do that. I had a small smoking weed habit that I, but it wasn't a habit. I was testing that environment. I was testing to see if it would help me with things. I don't smoke weed. It's been like two years. I haven't used it at all. And even then I wasn't using it that much, but I feel like the way that you overcome your vices is by addressing misbehavior at the most fundamental level and misbehavior at the most fundamental level to me is looking at the biomechanical realm of it. And I think mm-hmm. in the future, this is how people are going to assess it. That it's a biomechanical thing that leads to a sympathetic tone and, and a parasympathetic tone. And totally. it, never mind. If if I if I have really good mechanics, do I really need to do Wim Hof breathing anymore? Right. Not if I'm no. not anxious. If, yeah. if I, I don't have I don't have to worry about dealing with uh, with an illness because I'm never sick. I don't have to really, really I don't have to find a hack to to deal with my with my shitty feelings because I feel good all the time because my body is in a state of constant homeostasis or allostasis, I guess you could call it. Yeah. Yeah. It seems, it seems like over the the past few years, you've been able to make that switch from more sympathetic dominant to to parasympathetic and it's had uh, a downstream effect on your state and uh, being more calm, cool, collected and centered. Um, Well, well, one more thing to add onto that. It's like sympathetic dominant. It's so you've, you've heard of this term hyper feminization, right? Yeah. They're very sympathetic dominant, but people who are hyper feminized are very sympathetic dominant, but it's an, it's a dysfunctionally oriented sympathetic tone. So the, the idea is that if you're going to be sympathetic, that you do it correctly. And that if you're going to be parasympathetic, that you do it correctly, there's a correct and incorrect way of doing both of them. And when you look at somebody who's hyper feminine and they freak out and they deal with an emotional outburst, what you're dealing with is somebody 
who is a dysfunctionally orienting sympathetic tone. So there's yeah. functional and dysfunctional sympathetic and parasympathetic tones. And that also needs to be, uh, need to be categorized that people need to take that into consideration. I think. Yeah, it is. It is key to have proper definitions and understandings of these things. Like what is, what is the proper baseline? Um, before we land the plane, and, and I'm going to kind of have you point our listeners to where they can get this base understanding. Is it your 10 week course? Is it, is it the human biomechanics specialist course? Um, you know, so kind of be thinking about that as we bring this home, but, um, what, what's your relationship with technology right now? And, uh, and then I've, I've, I've one more question. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. That's a great question, but yeah, go ahead. Do you want me to answer that now? Yeah, then, let's uh, let's do that. Let's answer that then. My relationship to technology is that I feel like I'm getting like I'm, you know how people get disgusted within themselves with with something and then they stop doing it and then they come right back to it. Yeah, I'm getting bored with technology. Me too. Which, that's how I know I'm. That's how I know I'm getting. I'm actually overcoming the addiction. When you get yeah. bored and it's no longer stimulating, that's yeah. where you're like, oh shit! It's I'm like I'm getting not burned out, not disgusted. I'm just it's boring. Yep. So my, my, I, I feel that with this whole metaverse thing that's going on, which I'm sure you've, uh, you've probably looked into, right? The metaverse. Are you talking about with Facebook? Yes. Like, yeah. but, but it's, essentially they're going to try and put us into virtual reality and pull us yeah. out of reality. Yeah. I, I it's, believe it's, that. it's an inversion of actual reality. It's an inversion of nature in my Pretty opinion. much. Absolutely. And I agree with that. So I, my, my perspective is this, that I, I have no problems with, with the metaverse so long as we figure out this reality first and we don't turn mm. ourselves into complete degenerates, I don't want to go into that reality to escape the fact that I'm too ugly to operate in this reality because most people are going to go to the metaverse because let's just be very, very honest, bro. They're too ugly to be in this reality. Like mm -hmm. I, I don't like that. I'm that I don't like that. My nose is crooked and that my teeth aren't as wide as they should be. And that they're, that they're crooked. I don't like that. My mandible is too small for my cranium and that my cranium is too small for my body. I don't like these things about myself. So what I'm going to try and do is instead of escaping to a virtual reality, I'm going to try and address those problems right here, right now. And in order for me to mm -hmm. do that, I do have to step away from technology and tune into nature, tune into natural frequencies. So as it relates to me with, uh, with, uh, with technology, I think technology is great. I think that what really is the problem, though, is that people ruin things. I think people take the technology and they abuse it. Like a gun is a very useful tool for hunting an animal or defending yourself from an animal or something like that, or even mm -hmm. potentially a person who's going to try and hurt you. It's a very yeah. effective tool. But if you get idiots in society who don't know how to actually utilize the tool or override their impulses, they're going to abuse the tool. And so for me, I think the internet is great. I, I think phones are, are a fantastic tool. If I want to run a biomechanical analysis on somebody, I just pull out my phone, take a video of them, and I can help them, I can help them correct their problems. I just think that people abuse it just like they abuse drugs, just like they abuse all sorts of other systems. Keep in mind, I don't think caffeine is all bad. I think it has its use. I think it has its places. To, to be utilized. I think even cocaine, other drugs could have potential benefits depending on how you use them. The yeah. problem is that, that humans tend to get obsessive about things and then they, they ruin it. So I think, I don't think that there's anything wrong with technology. I think there's something wrong with people and our misbehavior is the problem. And until we address the misbehavior, we're not going to properly be able to use technology effectively to give us real benefit. It is a pretty hilarious 20 second story, but last summer, I took uh, orange sunshine, which is like a variety of uh, LSD. And oh, God. as I'm on the trip, I'm looking at my phone and I was like, <laughs> fuck this thing. And I went and I whipped <laughs> it into the woods. <laughs> and then the next morning I went back with find my phone. 
and pulled it out of the woods. And I'm like, that's a pretty good summary of like my relationship. It's like half the time I look at it and I'm like, fuck this thing. And I want to chuck it in the woods. And then once it's in the woods, I'm like, I better go get that. There's a lot. Yeah, of but you, but you got to see the silver lining in it though, bro. The reason that we probably haven't had World War Three up until this point is maybe because it's like the internet is a check on corruption too, bro. It really yeah. is. It's a it's a check on corruption. There's a reason Fauci is getting grilled right now. If this was back, yeah. if if this was 15, 20 years ago, would would Fauci have any, get, be getting any of the flack that he is right now? No, he killed he killed half the gay community with AZT. Okay, and, so, and, and so, nobody even knew about it. Okay, so so with that said, did that would that accountability exist now if we didn't have this beautiful no. object that we call a phone? We got to see the silver linings, bro. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the internet and phones are a check on corruption. Crypto. I'm not big into Bitcoin because Bitcoin's inefficient. I'm a Cardano guy. I don't know if you're into crypto or not. But I'm yeah, a yeah, I've, I've owned Cardano. Yes, and so I'm. I my I, I have 95 percent of my position in on Cardano because it's it's sustainable. It's responsible. The way that Charles Hoskinson's gone about it seems to be much more responsible than other projects. But yeah. I believe that the internet itself is a check on corruption, and I, so we 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 can't we can't throw the ba- as they say you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like we we have to we have to understand that. Uh, that the internet is a tool and that, that mm. you can turn a tool into a drug depending on how much you use it. And it, it's mm-hmm. not the internet's fault. It's not the phone's fault. It's not Mark Zuckerberg's fault. It's not, it's not uh, Elon Musk's fault. It's not the billionaire's fault. It's people mm-hmm. at some level have to find it within themselves to behave balanced to some mm-hmm. degree within themselves and, 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 and just in general, find balance. And what I'm trying to do with FP is promote more balance to, re- to, to regulate impulsive behavior. Because I believe that impulsive behavior is a problem and it's not necessarily technology. It's impulsive behavior. And I believe that impulsive behavior can be tied into neuroticism and that neuroticism can be tied into the fact that people are not able to connect to their fascia. And that's simply because the ratios between the moving parts in their body are not connecting to the degree that they need to. That if they can address the misbehavior, which is biomechanically rooted, that at that point they will become less neurotic and less apt to abuse things. I love it. I love it. Last question. And then, uh, where, where you want people to go, uh, to kind of take their, their level of understanding and, and their bodies to the next level. Um, how do you see things playing out these next few years? We touched on it a little bit with, with that last question, but, um, there's certainly a, a divide happening where it seems like some people are on one path and and some people are on another path. Let's talk about the people that are more not on the transhumanism path. What do you okay. see? What do you see happening with the other people, which is the category that I'd put myself in? Uh, what do I see happening with them? Let, let, let me put it this way. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm probably going to deviate a little bit here, Anthony, but I believe that people go towards whatever works, what seems to work. And I think they're, they're, they're confused because nothing in our, in our society seems to work all that great. Like if you look at, let's say somebody like, like Jeff Bezos, does he look like a successful individual? I don't think so. Why? Why do you think he doesn't look like a, a, a successful individual, Anthony? His marriage didn't work. His uh, he doesn't look super healthy, in my opinion. It looks like he's probably just taking a bunch of hormone replacement stuff and and uh, human growth hormone and that sort of thing. It, it, it doesn't. He doesn't seem like a balanced individual. And he's it, ugly. Yeah, he's ugly. Let's just yeah. fucking let's just use a fucking term. He's ugly, yeah. right? He's an ugly person. So ultimately. Since he's ugly, people are like, well, wait a minute. He's got all those billions of dollars, but he's still freaking ugly. I, I don't think that we solve a lot of the, 
there's there's two different crises in, in this world, bro. We have a, a socioeconomic crisis, and then we have another one that people don't like to talk about a lot, which is the sexual stratification. The fact that, that a small select few people are having sex in a society, while the vast majority of people are not having sex. And why aren't they having sex, Anthony? Because they don't. You know. You want to know why? Because they don't look like you. That's why. So until people, I've look gone through like, a lot of periods where I, I didn't have sex till I was nineteen. I know, bro, but if you didn't, <laughs> if you, but I'd imagine you already understand game to some degree. But if you go out and you go talk to women, bro, yeah. you're gonna go get laid. You are yeah. not part of that. You're not even close to being part of that eighty percent, Anthony. Let's be very freaking real about that. Yeah, yeah. I don't feel like I'm a part of that eighty percent either. I have the capacity to get laid, and yeah. I think that's a huge driver of the problems that exist in our society. I think that the problem is that most people are ugly. And when you have an ugly population, they compensate in all sorts of different ways. It's no mystery why all the billionaires happen to be but ugly people. It is what it is. I just got to call it for what it is. And what That's is ugliness? Fascinating. Yes. So with that said, <laughs> ugliness as, as, as a mechanism is a result of what? Disproportion, lack of uh-huh. balance in the body, lack of symmetry, lack of muscular development. If people, both men and women, happen to be more attractive, we wouldn't be anywhere in anywhere near the predicament that we're in right now. I believe that until we can hack beauty, which is what I'm doing, that we're not going to solve this damn problem. So I, I know I deviated the topic completely, bro, but I believe that this is a talking point it's, that needs to it be is. considered. For and, sure. And be, it's fascinating. Because, because we're ugly. We're an ugly organism, and we're not getting any prettier by, by attaching ourselves to these, uh, to these devices and then using drugs along with those devices and, and then behaving like shit when we're using these devices. We're not making ourselves more attractive. So the whole thing is, I just feel that there's, there's enough resources. There's enough food. Now it just comes down to that. There's not enough beauty to go around. And I believe, I believe that this is this sexual stratification is one thing I've talked about for over a decade. And until we address the sexual stratification in our society, and until we can take men and women and make them like, like attractive enough to want to have sex with, especially men, until we can make men more attractive, I don't see how we're going to get out of this, bro. So my, my, I believe that we, that we, that we diverged to transhumanism because I was for transhumanism until I started understanding more about the body. And I'm like, wait a minute, if I could just regenerate my body and then like, like generate abs and then generate pecs and, and form fibers on my body that I wouldn't be able to form just simply by positioning them in the correct, correct places. And then I just turn myself into a freaking, a studly freaking gorilla that could defend a woman, provide for her, because I'm good at bu- I'm, I'm, I'm a wise business person. I'm useful because I'm a scientist. If I could check all the boxes for a woman, then it's like, then, and, and I'm attracted to women. Then guess what? I'm like, that's one box that I think society needs to check off and society has not for checked sure. that off. And we're really erasing that box almost entirely. We're making ourselves ugly, bro, with what we do. And I think that we need to turn that shit around. And honestly, where I see things moving into the fo- into the future is me codifying this, me mechanizing this shit, and then showing people what you can turn a body into. And then when people do that, then at that point, they'll ask themselves, well, do I really want a bionic knee? Do I really want a bionic shoulder or hip? Or do I just want to have a very sexy set of quads, very sexy set of calves, very sexy set of glutes that propel motion better than any animal in, in the animal kingdom? And, and and like, do I want to just look like a sexy beast who moves like a sexy beast? Which one do I want? That's the question, right? What right. what is it that people really want? They want to look good, bro. That's the majority of that's the that's the the complex of society. So my objective is on my part that I need to solve that problem before. I, this is the way I see it, uh, Anthony. I don't think anybody 
could ever account for a revolution when it happens. Nobody ever predicts a revolution. It always happens in the in the least obvious places. And I believe that functional patterns is going to be that revolution that nobody could have ever accounted for. And the way that we're going to account for it is by literally taking a soda can that's been crinkled and then uncrinkling it until it's a nice symmetrical soda can, right? That you can drink water out of that can retain fluid as well, right? Because if you cr crinkle a soda can, can it retain fluid? No. no. And so if we uncrinkle it, it can retain fluid, right? The same thing goes with the body. We're crinkled up. We're crinkling ourselves. We're making ourselves into these ghoulish, ugly-looking fucking organisms. And we need to uncrinkle so we can retain fluid. And then at that point, if we can retain fluid, that means that we, that we are bioenergetically extremely strong and we're going to function at a capacity that's beyond what's even imaginable. And then we're all going to want to have sex with each other. And we won't have to deal with that insecurity. Because, bro, I believe that most of our insecurities... And I've said this for the longest time and nobody wanted to hear it. And thanks to Rolo Tomasi and the guys at the Fresh and Fit podcast. And thanks to people like uh, Kevin Samuels, they're bringing this out into the open. But I think it's, it's mainly Rolo Tomasi. We you're right, man. Men, I've, I've, men never, I've never heard it. My mind's, my mind's blown. I've never heard it yes. before. But you're, you're, it's, it's like when you hear a uh, truth for the first time, you're like, yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah, so men can't be manlets. And then we get, 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 uh, get, get, get like balance as a species let me put it this way i'm going to take it a step further how do unless a person looks like an adult they never really actually act like an adult and some people develop their cranium some people develop their deltoids some people develop their feet some people develop certain elements of their body but per the majority people are undeveloped and i could point out how every single person is undeveloped and tell you how their personality is character how their archetype is built around their lack of development and how that begins to modify their behavior most of the believe it or not bro most of this shit is biomechanical. And if you can get to the mechanics to uncrinkle the can, if you uncrinkle the can on the human body, you get a big ginormous freaking peck that pops out of that, out of that body. You get mm -hmm. a big ginormous bicep that comes out of that body. If you uncrinkle the human body, you get big old freaking glutes. You get a beautiful organism that comes out of it. I used to justify, you know what, over the last five years, I'll say that, man, I justified uh, dysfunction and just say, you know what, we're just, I guess we're just an inherently ugly species with a very, very good brain. Bullshit. We can have very good brains and be very beautiful at the same time. We just have to actually go through the, we have to understand the mechanisms that drive beauty. And that's mm -hmm. precisely what I've been uncovering in recent times. And it's why I think I look a little bit better than what I did in the past, because I'm starting to figure these things out, man. I'm starting to understand what it means to develop into my manhood. Women need to develop into their uh, womanhood and men need to develop into their manhood. Here's one thing that I don't know if you, if you've heard me spout off on this female lions, what, what's their capacity? What can they, what, what do female lions do for their, for their prides? Protect the cubs, give birth, reproduce. And they hunt, they kill wildebeest. Yeah. We forget about that part, right? Yeah. I was, Why? I was trying to remember. I'm like, do the men hunt or do the women hunt? <laughs> the, the females hunt. The men just have sex and they, they, they kill off the other males from what I understand. And they protect they're there to protect, but women can, the, the female lions can protect. The key point is women lions can jump really high. Can men, men have the capacity to jump higher than women per the majority, but women don't. I believe that that, that discrepancy between men and women is also what's causing most of our problems in a society. That lack of equality is a problem. And I'm saying it's, that lack of physical equality is a problem. And as it relates to this, women are emotional. Why John? Or Anthony, sorry, sorry. I was I was thinking of uh, another guy named John Anthony. He's uh, a he's a pickup guy. It's all Anthony, good. <laughs> why why are people why are women uh, generally more emotional? And I'll tell you this: 
because yeah. they're more neurotic because their mechanics are, are failing them. And when you're more neurotic, guess what you're apt to be more irritable, more yeah. emotional. And I believe that these are the reasons. I know this is kind of controversial to people, but it's not because what I'm suggesting is that, you know what? Women are emotional because they're neurotic. And if you can address the neuroticism, which is by connecting them to their fascia, by connecting their mechanics, by orienting their ratios, by making them become female human versions of li female lions, then at that point, you overcome a lot of the female condition. The female condition is a biomechanical condition. I, I, I know people are like, man, now he's selling this biomechanics thing real fucking hard. As time I, passes. I, I dig it, man. I dig it. As, and guys, time, passes, as yeah. time passes, people are going to begin to realize this biomechanical thing is everything. At any point, does, does anything in reality stop moving? No. Everything is in constant motion. Everything mm -hmm. falls under the umbrella of biomechanics and, and under mechanics, right? Mm -hmm. And then if you talk about living systems, it's uh, like it's biomechanics, right? Like we have to, we, when we start talking about living organisms, we got to start talking about biomechanics. Everything falls underneath that. It falls under movement. And the more precise that we can get to find the mechanics to uncrinkle the body, the higher the, the, the likelihood it is that we are going to end up probably achieving more mental balance. And I believe that that's what's lacking in the world. The sexual frustration, this ugliness that we feel externally, mm -hmm. it, it reflect. It's a reflection of how we feel internally, and mm -hmm. there is no such thing as inner beauty if there if it doesn't reflect in the outer beauty. I think people are generally full of shit when they think that they're when they say that they have inner beauty, but not, uh, but but not outer beauty. I think real inner beauty uh, reflects into outer beauty. That's my perspective. Yeah. And as time passes, my objective is to display that alternative for people. So then they can choose to say, Hey, look, do I want to be ugly or not? And is a BBL really going to be the way to do it? Are fake tits the way to do it? Like that's, that's the, that's the conundrum I want to put on to people over the next five, 10 years. I dig it. I dig it. Naughty. Where, where do we start for the people that are loving this conversation? What's the next step they take, which, which course or product that, that you've got, should they pick up to go down this journey and continue? Start down the 10 week online course. And then I have another uh, system called the functional training system. And then after that, I would suggest if you, if you wanted to get certified and, and you're a professional, or even if you're not, and you're somebody who's trying to just understand their body better, uh, we have human foundations courses that are in person. And then after that, you have human biomechanics specialist certification courses. Like that's one option. So that one path is going 10 week online course to functional training system to getting certified. The other path is 10 week online course to functional training system to hiring a practitioner that's certified in my approach. Those are the two best options that I could, that I could suggest for people. Um, and they, they, I, they, they require a financial commitment, but so does a hip replacement. And we all pay for that hip replacement. We all pay for knee replacement. So, um, if you're, if you're ready to spend money and make an investment on your health, that would be the route that I would suggest. Nice. Naughty Aguilar, this has been a pleasure, my friend. Thank, Thank you, you so much, doing. Anthony. It was, it was a pleasure uh, being here with you, bro. It's, uh, I'm, I'm, you look well. I'm glad you're doing well, bro. Keep up the you, great work, brother. You too. Thank you, brother. Take care. What's up, guys? Anthony here. And one of my favorite things to do is helping men and women like you feel what it's like living life with the body you've always wanted and all day energy that starts the moment you wake up and doesn't quit. Over the past decade, we've created a proprietary health assessment that helps me to identify the unique toxicities and deficiencies that are holding you back from the life that you deserve. And what we've discovered in doing this now with thousands of CEOs, executives, professional athletes, businessmen, Hollywood celebs, and entrepreneurs is that there is always room for improvement and optimization. So if you're looking for help with this stuff and you'd like to see if you're a fit to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, this program is usually full year-round with a waiting list, but we just had a few spots open up 
And I wanted to make this available to the listeners of the Biohacking Secrets show first. So what you want to do if you want to apply is head over to biohackingsecrets.com forward slash coaching. That's www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash coaching, C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G. Fill out the short application form. And if you're pre-approved, you'll be given the opportunity to book a time to connect with someone on our team and see if it's a fit. Thank you so much for being a part of this community. I look forward to potentially going on this journey together. 